0: Tonight we have 5 scary stories that will give you nightmares. If you enjoy, please as always, like the video and make sure to subscribe. Anyway, let's get down to what you came here to see. Number 1 Let me preface this story with my level of belief in the paranormal. I want to believe, but I have to rule out all logical explanations. Most of the time when people experience the paranormal, there is a logical explanation for it. I have experienced a number of things that I cannot explain, but I'm open to scientific explanations for I don't know if what I experienced was a malevolent ghost or if it was demonic but it certainly wasn't anything I could easily explain. Then I was almost 24. I moved into my first apartment after a spring semester, living in a dorm as a non-traditional student. I had originally planned to live with three friends, but one decided to live with her boyfriend. Another was temperamental and was mad at me for some reason and the third I hadn't actually met because he was living abroad in Germany. Because I didn't want to get stuck living in a dorm again, I pre-applied for an apartment and signed a lease, sight unseen. I did have a courtesy showing afterwards, but it didn't matter. I already had the apartment. The property management employee met me at the building, but really had no clue what he was doing. He was clearly a maintenance guy who had been asked to show the apartment because he was in the area. They did not have their usual staff to show me. My apartment was upstairs, so we creeped up the rickety stairs to the second floor, and I noted right away that everything was covered in a thick layer of dust, as if it had been abandoned for months. It had a simple layout, bathroom at the top of the stairs, bedroom to the right of that, and kitchen, and then living room. I did notice there were pennies in all of the rooms, but just figured that the previous tenants left it in a hurry. In the main hallway, there was a door to an attic. This attic was the size of an entire apartment, and I was stoked about having the extra space. The door had a latch that you could put a padlock on, which I found strange but figured it had been used for the owner's storage in the past and might not have always been accessible to the tenants. The maintenance man opened the door to the attic and tried to flip the switch, but we quickly discovered that the utilities had been shut off, which the office later told me I had to deal with myself. He commented that my suspicion of the tenants leaving in a hurry was probably right, mused that they probably had been evicted and that the management company never shut off utilities between tenants so they had been shut off by the utility company it was a bright and sunny day so we hadn't needed to turn on the lights until this point and decided that enough light was filtering into the attic to check it out at the top of the stairs there is a spray paint on the wall blood's been blood's been I think I said out loud how creepy it was, but figured I could just put a poster over it anyway. The maintenance guy responded with how the previous tenants smoked in the building, which I could clearly smell, and that there was no smoking policy in their apartments. I told him it was fine, and I didn't smoke. After that, the maintenance guy showed me out, and I got the keys to the apartment the next day from the office. It was still the last week of classes and I was really good friends with one of the older lunch ladies at the University Cafeteria. We were fast friends and she really played the role of the cool aunt to me while I was living in the college town. My mother always told me how important it is to make friends with people older than you and I have always taken that to heart. So anyway, I went to dinner and of course she asked me how my apartment showing went. Over my crappy cafeteria meal, I told her all about it, the blood Ben. After we speculated on what it could mean, she offered to come cleanse the apartment for me the next day. So she came with her little dog, saged the apartment and said, Devil, are you there? You have to get out. And we giggled and she told me she thought the apartment suited me. I really took ownership over my first place. Excited to finally be on my own after what had felt like a failure to launch for my first five or so years of adulthood. Before I moved my things in, I scrubbed the place down. I hung my Harry Potter poster over the bloodbath in the attic and collected all the pennies everywhere. As I was washing the windows, I found a necklace hanging from one of the front windows. It was an Eye of Horus. I decided to Google the significance and learned that it was a symbol of protection and good health. I don't know if I liked the meaning of it or was just too creeped out to take it down, but I really felt like I needed to leave it there. As I made my way through the entire apartment on my cleaning spree, I found a wallet in a drawer in the kitchen. The coin purse part was filled with copper pennies, and I realized that all of the pennies I had found were copper. They were not the newer, shinier ones. Hmm. I realised that the pennies were in two pieces. The centre of each room and in the corners of the rooms. I googled this and discovered that the ones in the centre of the rooms were for good luck. The ones in the corners were used to protect from ghosts and spirits. I kept looking through the wallet and found the card slots filled with business cards for a nearby county victim witness office. Several psychologists, a defense attorney, child protective services, things that led me to believe that the person who had lived in the apartment before me had experienced some violence, child custody issues, and probably mental health issues. Well, that really explained the need for protection. I shrugged it off and put the wallet back in a drawer. That night I moved everything I had locally from my dorm to my apartment knowing my furniture and some other things would be brought by my family from three hours away over the weekend. I laid down in my apartment for the first night, sleeping on a mattress pad from my dorm, watching the office on my phone. I was exhausted, after doing so much work on my own and happy to cozy in for the night. That's when I heard it. Footsteps walking through the attic above me. I froze. I could hear blood rushing to my ears as panic coursed through me. I could hear my heart pounding unusually loud as I quickly scanned my brain for a logical explanation. I landed on one quickly. The man who lives in the other upstairs apartment has a finished attic that serves as a bedroom. I remembered this from the online listing, which showed pictures from all four apartments in a fourplex. He must be walking around his bedroom and the sound must just be carrying across the empty wood floor attic since there is nothing to absorb the sound in my half. It was a good enough answer for me that night. I rolled onto my side and fell asleep to the sound of Jim and Dwight and Michael Scott. I didn't yet have pots and pans so the next morning I microwaved some food for breakfast. As I was waiting for the timer to count down, I looked onto the top of the cupboards and noticed something else left by the previous tenants. It was really inconspicuous, there was no surprise that I had missed it yesterday or during my tour. I climbed up on the counter and pulled it down. In my hands was a two-quart mason jar filled with stuff and nothing cutesy. There were needles and pins and rusty bent nails, broken glass, something that looked like rotten meat, some herbs and it was filled up with mystery liquid. My stomach dropped and for some reason, which bottle came to mind. Now I love spooky and paranormal and shows like the X-Files, But I promise you that I had never heard of a witch bottle before. I have never dabbled in witchcraft, besides trying and failing to play light as a feather, stiff as a board in Girl Scouts. So I pulled out my phone and typed into Google and found some old geoceptive pages with neon colors on a black background that explained to me that it was probably filled with urine possibly menstrual blood, and was created to protect its creator from negative psychic energy. Um, nope. I marched downstairs to the back alley and dumped that thing in the trash. I was a little concerned about the inviting some bad juju from getting rid of it, but I decided that since it was made to protect someone who abandoned it, I was safe. Plus, I wasn't even sure I believed in bad juju. Over the next few months, I was able to get all my furniture added into my new apartment. I got a cat, and I really made the place my home. Since that attic door made my heart pound every time I walked by it, I decorated the door with a bunch of old Harry Potter magazine clippings and whatnot. I put a padlock on it because it kept hearing those footsteps. Maybe the guy next door could get into my attic... There was an old door between the two. Maybe I hadn't examined it very closely and it could be used. I wasn't going to let an intruder come get me in the middle of the night, so a padlock on the attic seemed good enough. In spite of the attic, my apartment had a lot of light and had a good atmosphere, so I was happy with it. I worked hard that summer. I was the poorest I've ever been. But I was happy microwaving cheddarwurst and eating grilled peanut butter and jellies so that I could spend a little money drinking real gin and tonics with my friends at local bars. Fall started. I was better fed since my aunt-like figure would sneak me into the cafeteria on campus for free and I got involved with activities at the school. I lived close enough to campus that I could easily drop by and change before work or spend a little time snuggling my cat before an evening of student government meetings. The town I lived in is on the head of Lake Superior, and I relished being in such a beautiful place with such crappy weather. I'd been living in my apartment for five months in late October, and this particular day we were facing very strong winds. It's not uncommon in that area. In fact, Gordon Lightwood talks about it in the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald*. When the ship sank because the gales of November came early, which is happening earlier every year. Thank you, climate change. These winds rattled the windows, blew your car door shut when you tried to open it. You know, the type of wind you expect when a storm on a seafront. You know, the type of wind you expect with a storm on a seafront. I got to the top of the stairs and rounded the corner and my attic door was wide open. My heart was in my throat. My stomach dropped out of my butt. I had the head rush of a panic. I frantically packed an overnight bag and some supplies for the cat and... Wait. Where was my cat? Oh, I could hear him running around in the attic. Luckily, he came when he was called. I scooped him up and I got the fuck out of there. I sped off to campus to tell my friend who was working the dinner shift at the cafeteria. She was convinced that the door opened because of the wind. There must be a draft in the attic that caused the door to open. I couldn't be consoled. The door had a padlock on it and that lock was still locked on the ring. Someone either came into my apartment to unlock it or... Well, I had no other explanation. Except maybe Blood Ben? (laughs) Huh. Those things don't really happen. It was agreed that I would spend the night at my friend's house, on her couch. Since night had fallen, We would together check out my apartment come daylight. The next morning, she and I brought my kitty back to my apartment and looked around. The atmosphere had significantly changed in the place. When before my apartment had held all kind of light and felt warm and cozy, suddenly it felt shadowy and cold. The door was still open, so we unlocked a padlock and relocked locked the door shut. She was convinced that I must have messed with the lock and not remembered, but she may have just been saying that to comfort me. She didn't visit my apartment again. I brushed off the atmospheric change to the fact that it was fall. I had kept living in the place for another 7 months, so I just convinced myself that the changes weren't there. After that, I started walking in the night. I have experienced sleep paralysis before, but what I had started experiencing couldn't be that. I would wake up and feel an energy in the doorway, like I could see the outline of a large figure, but there was nothing there. I would wake up and stare at it, trying to see the figure that I knew was there. I could move, I would often roll onto my side and stare at it over my shoulder. Sometimes I would wake up to the sound of my cat playing with his jingle bells rolling down the hall or bouncing down the stairs. I would audibly tell him to stop playing, and then feel him in the bed. He wasn't pushing the jingle balls around, he was asleep next to me. I would tell myself there must be a draft and force myself to sleep. I would sometimes feel this energy staring at me from the hallway when I was in the living room. I started cutting through the kitchen to get to the living room so I didn't have to walk by the attic door. The Harry Potter decorations were no longer helping ease my anxiety. If I needed to put something in my attic for storage, I would have a friend come over and do it. I could sense something sinister staring at me from the attic when I walked out to my car parked on the street in front of the building. I would look over my shoulder at my building and I would be surprised not to see the face in the attic window. Was I going crazy? I had lived in this apartment for five months without any issues and all of a sudden I was filled with anxiety any time I needed to go home. I got another cat to keep my mind entertained and I returned home as little as I could usually only to sleep and shower. Because of my anxiety in my apartment, I often spent my time on campus or at a friends' houses. But one night, three friends decided to come over so we could watch a YouTube series together on my Apple TV. We all watched a couple of episodes and were having a good time. They wanted to go outside for a cigarette, but commented about how minus 30 temperatures was too cold for it. Feeling emboldened by a few beers, I offered my attic. The previous tenants smoked in there. It smelled like smoke up there and besides, these guys didn't believe in my ghost. We climbed the stairs and when we hit the top stair, one of the guys said, We, we have to get out. No, we, we, can't, we can't be here. Great, this was comforting. When we all got back to my living room, he told me about how when he hit the top of the stairs, he instantly felt like there was someone or something that hated him deeply. He babbled on about needing to ground himself to a tree. That he didn't believe in magic, but his mother told him that if he ever felt unsafe, he should imagine himself attached to somehow to a tree. I didn't really listen that closely to him explaining that tree stuff. I was preoccupied that my ghost was confirmed by someone else. The three of them left shortly after and I was left alone with my cat and my ghost. After another seven or eight months in apartments, apartment, I was able to secure another living situation. It wasn't ideal, being the only girl in a house with four college-aged guys, but it wouldn't be haunted and it would cost a lot less to split rent. I scrubbed out the place, moved everything on my own, and saved a little bit of storage in my attic for last. I got one of my new roommates and a friend who claimed to be as sensitive to spirits come over to help me. The sensitive friend had wanted to come to my apartment before, but after the instance with the three friends needing to leave the attic, I didn't want anything to get stirred up. The three of us hauled everything out and I told the last friend that he could spend some time in the attic, but he needed to lock the apartment behind him. I was going to drop off the keys, I said goodbye and went to my new home, leaving the eye of Horace and wallet of pennies where i had found them. The sensitive friend messaged me a few hours later. There was a doorway between the attic, it was sealed, but it was covered in chalk writing in Latin. He didn't tell me what it said, but that the door was used as some portal, and that there was one violent spirit in the attic, and he wanted me. Things likely would have escalated if I had stayed. He reckoned that I got out just in time. For the remaining four years I lived in that town, I avoided that street. The handful of times I had to drive by that building, I felt that same energy in the attic. Staring me down from the window as I drove by. Number 2 My story is something that happened to me back when I was a teen, it took some time for me to recount it to friends because it had scared me so much at the time. I also refused to sleep in my room for about a month afterwards, and needless to say, I now sleep with my curtains firmly shut. I grew up in a remote northeastern town in province of Quebec after my parents separated. My mum moved my siblings and I into an older house on a cul-de-sac street. The neighbourhood was for the most part a decent place to raise kids and teens. However, the area had experienced issues with a high volume of break-ins in the recent years before we had bought the house. The previous owners had installed looking metal braces on the basement windows to prevent potential intruders from entering. Our next door neighbour had placed a huge spotlight on a pole in his backyard that subsequently lit our yard as well. This kind of stuff was foreign to us as my hometown is a place where people rarely lock their homes in cars. These precautions were unusual, practice to us and seemed a bit excessive. My mum had a 6 foot wooden fence built around one side of the house that enclosed all of the basement windows. This was not done out of fear or of trespassers but rather for added privacy and to define the borders of the property. I was about 14 at the time and being the oldest kid, this meant I got dibs in on the only basement bedroom. I was happy for the privacy, freedom to blast music and to access my own bathroom but the basement creeped me out with its old-fashioned cellar. Loud furnace, spiral staircase, and a floor-to-ceiling wall of mirrors in the TV room. It was dark, the furnace made strange noises at night, and I was far away from where the rest of my family slept. The windows in my room was basically a half window because the surrounding area had been dug out and an aluminium window was installed. I wasn't too keen on the darkness of the creepy basement so I usually slept with my curtains open. My neighbor's spotlight partly shone into my room, creating a sort of night light. My bed directly faced the window, but I felt comfortable and closing my curtains since my window was enclosed by the wooden fence. One night I was in my bed nodding out. Not awake, but also not quite asleep yet. For some reason, I opened my eyes and looked towards my window. I could see something in the area where the window well met the grass. The top half of my window that was unobstructed. I didn't have my gun, so I couldn't see very well and the lights were shining into making it harder to see outside. Initially I thought it was an object that had blown up to the window like maybe a soccer ball or a bag. Groggy and not quite awake still. I sat up in bed to get a better look. The object started to resemble a face. I leaned my body from one side of my bed and into the other, trying to catch a glimpse at a different angle. In doing that I could finally see the features of a man's face. The face slowly turned and followed my movements as I shifted from side to side in my bed. He was completely expressionless. Just intently looking at me, there was someone outside, laying belly down on the grass and looking at me from that small exposed top half of the window. After a moment of being frozen, I reacted and in one giant leap hopped out of bed and ran upstairs. I went to my mum's room and got in her bed, thoroughly freaked out but also confused at what I had just seen. She woke up and asked me what I was doing and I told her that I thought I saw a face in my window. She got up and took a look through her bedroom window but didn't see anything. She was much more dismissive than alarmed since I didn't know for sure what I'd seen and there was no sign of anyone. Also it was dark and I didn't have my glasses on so it was possible that it was a mistake. The next morning before school, I decided to go outside to the area where my bedroom window was, still unsure of what I had seen, or not seen. The wooden fence surrounding the back of the house had a door, a point of entry to the backyard. The window was the first next to that door. At some point earlier in the year, the handle had broken on the fence door and couldn't fully latch and stay shut. In order to prevent it from opening and becoming a noise nuisance in the wind, my mum had placed a cinder block up against the door on the side of the fence. That morning, the cinder block was not blocking the door. It had been moved and the door was unlatched. Thinking back now, I must have been awoken from my not asleep, awake state by the dull thud of the cinder block toppling over in the grass. And some time after that, I came to the realisation that there was a face in my window, just looking at me. As a kid, I always loved being on the freeway. If we were on the road, it meant my family and I were going somewhere exciting, adventurous. Whether it was my uncle's country home in Sacramento or my other uncle's home in San Francisco, overlooking the bay. The memories I have had with my family and friends have been pleasant, to say the least. Which is why I was always shocked when people wanted to visit my family and I in boring old Modesto. The town was boring, the fashion was lame, and all my cool cousins lived on the other stretch of the highway. Then one day, everything in our family changed, and in just under one minute, our whole entire lives would change as we know it. Getting married at an early age and going back to my family's home country on the Fiji Islands was normal for most Indian girls in the 90s. It was common for an Indian girl to be set up with a compatible partner for her partner's hometown and then married off to his family. At the age of 10, I didn't realise how vile this practice would come to be in later years. However, back then, it was business as usual. One particular cousin, Sue, had done just that, at the tender age of 17. She agreed to marry a young man around the same age that she had never met before. Her lavish wedding took place in the Fiji Islands and those family members that had more change in the bank than the rest of us attended the festivities overseas. My family is large, in the hundreds, but when we got that phone call one blistery night in winter, I never truly realized how losing four family members in one night would impact our family. One of them had just stepped out of a plane from the Fiji Islands and touched American soil that very day. He was to be our brother-in-law, but we would never meet him. The accident on 132 late Saturday night was pure havoc. There were body parts scattered across the perimeter of the highway a famous freeway known for her curvy roads and unforgiving blind spots. We will never know what caused Sue to slam the brakes on her new sports car, then slam into two other vehicles, catapulting nearly three feet in the air, before crashing down in a fiery crash and terminating the lives of seven people, including herself. My uncle who answered the phone that night was the only brave soul who went to identify the body of his sister, her husband, their teenage daughter Sue, and her new husband. He's never quite been the same since. Because of the severe nature of the situation, the faces of Sue and her parents had to be resurrected. A request made by Sue's only brother, who demanded that his parents and his sisters have an open casket, proper Indian funeral. Funeral homes never creeps me out. As a matter of fact, I find comfort in sitting next to the dead. It reminds me of how lucky I am. As I sat in a pew, not yet quite ready to approach the three casket baskets that sat woefully in front of me, I had to mute out the, I had to mute out the anguished screams of the elders beside me. Indian weddings and funerals go hand in hand. The cries of the women are ungodly. Another brave family member swung past me, holding a video camera. I couldn't quite believe it. Why were they taping this? To show other family members who couldn't attend, I was later told. The fact that a VHS tape still exists bothers me to this day. I wonder where the lost tapes could be. The fourth casket, you ask? The one with Sue's husband's body? Well, his family blamed Sue for their young son's untimely death and forbid his body to reside next to her for eternity. His body, after the investigation, was hauled back to Fiji Islands for a private ceremony. I still to this day don't know his name. I couldn't help but think my cousin had just gotten married, flew back to the United States on her own, waited for her husband for months to arrive, and when he did, she chose for my family to meet him first. Sue was beautiful, but as a cadaver, they made her into a human doll. Her face was polished to perfection, full of feature filler that made her look ravishing and glowing. Her lips were blood red and her hands, which looked awfully fake, had Lee press on nails with tiny specks of glitter. She looked terrifyingly beautiful. Her parents that lay beside her were also primed for viewing. My uncle was missing his legs and I couldn't help but think how hollow he looked. He was so full of life when I had last saw him and now he lay there, in his casket, bare. Devoid of most of his limbs, becoming this drying carcass waiting to be dotted on by all the bleak mourners. My aunt's face was full of wrinkles and cracks, areas where the makeup had settled and begun to desiccate. The cameraman stoically zoomed past me. I despondently walked past the casket, saying my final goodbyes to this sweet family. The dead don't really scare me. I fear the living far more. What I didn't mention about Sue was the clothes she had requested to be buried in her wedding clothes. If you know anything about Indian weddings, we like to go all out. Back then, the clothes weren't in style by no means, but all the glittered as gold, and Sue was glowing from the inside of her casket. Perhaps it was from all her wedding jewellery that was placed around her face. I missed Sue's Indian wedding in Fiji, but now, for the last time, I got to see her as an Indian bride. The problem isn't that my family died and went to heaven. The problem is they never left their home. Shortly after the funeral, when the house had settled and the guests began trickling in a little more slower, the nights got darker. The three of them began showing their presence slowly throughout the house. One day I cornered Sue's brother, more out of morbid curiosity than anything, to ask him why there were so many priests being brought into the house lately he told that the whispers, sounds of people talking, and the footsteps that just didn't stop. He would walk past Sue's room in which the doors would remain closed, and he would hear the bed creaking, doors creaking, and the sound of footsteps descending in the room. When I asked him if it scared him, he replied that he was used to his sister getting ready every morning before she went to work. He found it comfort in knowing she was still around. The priests were brought in because Sue's brother's wife was the one that affected the most. She would wake up to lash marks on her face, the feeling of someone lying in bed next to her when no one was home, and the feeling of always being watched. Sue never liked her brother's wife. Her brother was divorced within that year. Sue's brother moved out of the house shortly after. The rumours began circulating, family members came out of hiding. The stories came from different family members that those had lived in Sue's house. Those have stayed the night. Those visiting from overseas. Those that rented rooms in the large home. Now too big for just two people. Over the years, our ears were filled with tormenting recounts of Sue making sure her presence was known. Of course no one physically saw them, but they were there, next to their shadows when they walked, in the television reflection when it was switched off, in the rearview mirror when they least expected it, that brief reflection as they scurried past the sliding door, daring not to look to see who was following them at night. No one in her family could explain it, and some of them stopped talking about it years ago. Then, there are those VHS tapes. It was the whispers that would eventually drive this family to sell their home and move out of the state. The hushed voice next to them while they tried try to sleep. The whispers that would come late at night, when the other one wasn't home. The whispers you would hear inside Sue's closed door room. I suppose the saying is true. Family is Forever. Number 4 When I was 16 in the mid-1990s, I used to run away from my crappy living situation at home and spend a few long excursions and spend week-long excursions at my older teenage friend's place. One of these hovelly places was my friend Jay's apartment, located at the very top of a mostly empty five-story complex in an absolutely terrifying high-crime part of the city. The entire building, except the very bottom floor, was vacant except for Jay. It was a particularly isolating sense of freedom being there, as well as extra creepy. Upon Jay's moving in to said dump, we noticed something remarkable right away. This place was undeniably and very obviously haunted. This was made known the very moment I cleared the threshold on moving day. Carrying a heavy box of Jay's books, a large, warm hand ran straight up the back of my bare right thigh. And the sensation of the hand running up the back of my upper thigh turned to a pinch on my butt cheek. I was frozen, of course, and could only think to frightfully call out to Jay, who was in the bedroom, inflating a $10 air mattress. Um, Jay? Did you just pinch my butt? He stuck his head out of the room and looked at me like I was insane and responded, Eh, no. I told him what had just happened and instead of scared, he seemed amused, because it was a silly situation to describe. After this incident, though, there was no end to the weird shit that routinely comprised an average day in his tiny one-bedroom. Set something down? it would disappear immediately. Walk into a room, the door would slam behind you, only to immediately reopen itself. Ready to force yourself to sleep through the confusion and only slightly amusing terror? Hear the sounds of dishes and cupboards being banged around in the kitchen. One night, Jay's boyfriend stayed over, and the guy woke up the next morning with a stinging red bite mark on his wrist. The teeth marks didn't match his or Jay's, or mine. And we had been the only three there. So it was absolutely no surprise when Jay's house keys went missing. We tore the place apart looking for them. To no avail. It was Christmas Eve, so getting in touch with the apartment office to get the replacement key was not possible. Jay's mum, in the meantime, had invited the two of us over for dinner that night. So we made a decision to just leave the door unlocked this once so we could go. We won't be gone long. We reckoned and headed out bundled up for the walk to Jay's mum's house. We ended up leaving a bit later than expected, around 11pm, but the streets were totally isolated by this point due to the holiday and freezing weather. This made it particularly notable when we realised we were being followed home. The man behind us was making no effort to disclose his action. He came out of absolutely nowhere and stayed behind us keeping a pace of only about 9 or 10 feet. I looked over at Jay and this was the first time I had ever in my life seen him scared. The man behind us was easily 6'5", 300 pounds of fat and muscle. If you've ever seen a professional NFL player in real life, he was that size his black eyes were laser focused on us a couple of scrawny teenagers in a thrift store polyester bell bottoms we were clearly poor so he must have wanted i mean i i don't know but something else for sure which gave this whole scenario an even darker turn we increased our pace he increased his pace we turned a corner he turned the same corner Unfortunately, every shop or business front we passed was closed, and cell phones were still brick-sized novelties used only by Miami Vice villains or dickheads in convertibles. There was literally no one else around except the three of us, lit only by passing Christmas lights. We finally approached the apartment stairs. We are terrified to go up and announce where we live to this freak but we didn't know what else to do but get inside, lock the door and maybe call the cops if we had to. We ascended to the first stair landing and he followed. Second floor, third floor, Jay and I are still sharing looks of panic as we try and remain calm as he clomps slowly right behind us. Fourth floor, there he is, close enough to reach out and grab us. We get to the apartment door and the man has stopped and is now just staring at us intently from the landing waiting, as Jay and I stared helplessly at each other for what seemed like an eternity. I discreetly reached open the door and it's locked, deadbolted from the inside. I start to sweat and almost scream when Jay decided to knock on the door. I began knocking too and said as casually, cheerfully as I could to the door, Hey, it's us, open up. The deadbolt clicked. The man, seeing that there was someone unseen inside the apartment, turns around on the landing and walks away. We run inside, slam and lock the door behind us, pretty sure we push the couch in front of the door as well. We holler out, thank you, to the ghost and laugh nervously at her sudden relief of fear, though still too shaken up to talk about what just happened, any of it. The next morning, Jay's house keys were mysteriously returned to the bare counter by the door, where he had always kept them. It did not occur to me until later that, had the keys not been missing, this gigantic night stalker would have known where we were, and all alone. Number 5 A few years ago, I was getting ready to move from Cleveland, Ohio, south to Columbus. A week before my move, I went out of town with a friend. We stayed for a weekend and drove back the following Monday. The drive was long, we were both hungover, and all I could envision was getting to my own car, inhaling some fries and sprawling on my couch. Plus, my roommate had already moved out, so when I got home, it was just going to be me and my cat, Harley. I was ready. So sure enough, my friend dropped me off at my car that Monday evening. I drove down the street to McDonald's for some fries and a shake, and then was finally, finally, home. When I opened the front door, Harley was right there, waiting, like she usually does when she hears my keys in the lock. But as I walked in that night, she was crying, making this horrific noise she doesn't usually make. Normally when I get home Harley chirps a little, but this was a meowling that sounded painful. I knew something was up. Of course I asked her, what's wrong girl? And then looked around. That's when I noticed the TV I had in the living room was gone. I immediately ran up the steps to my bedroom and that TV was gone too. I ran back down the steps and called my roommate, asking if she had decided to borrow the TVs for the weekend which I knew was super unlikely but I was also trying to be optimistic. Of course she said no and then said she'd come over because obviously someone had broken in. I called another friend who had helped watch Harley while I was gone. He too said that there had been TVs there all weekend but that he hadn't been in the house since Saturday night. I went outside sweating, realising that I might not be alone in the house. I was afraid to go near the basement or my roommate's empty room. I called the police, I called my landlord, everyone, everyone converged on the house. It was only when the police were there that I went into the backyard and discovered that our kitchen window had been, expertly, removed. The window was propped against a recycling bin which was on its side. The police asked me if I had any idea who would want my TVs and some other objects were discovered missing. Although the TVs were the most glaring items, I couldn't think of anyone. My landlord kept asking if I had any exes that I had annoyed, which I thought was weird and I insisted that there wasn't even an ex, much less an angry one. He asked at one point, not even a dude you rejected at the bar? To which I asked how a guy I had rejected would know where I lived. With all the paperwork filled, the police said that a detective would come by in the morning to fingerprint the window and some other areas of the house. They advised me not to stay in the house that night, given that sometimes repeats happen. They also told my landlord not to touch the window itself, but that he could board the window opening with plywood temporarily. The police said everything in the backyard needed to stay exactly as it was. I asked if my landlord wanted me to stay while he boarded the window. He said no and told me to go stay with my roommate for the night. I slept but was unsettled. The next morning, I met the detective at the house. When we got to the backyard, the whole scene had been rearranged. The recycling bin had been moved across the yard. The window was flipped. Items that had been scattered from our kitchen in the backyard were thrown away. I told the detective, who kind of shrugged it off. And then he took fingerprints from the window as well as some furniture in the house. Everything had either been wiped down or touched by someone wearing gloves. He couldn't get any evidence from anything in the house or what was left in the backyard. After he left, I called the police department again, as I was still concerned that the scene had been rearranged. The police chief ended up on the phone with me. He told me to never be at the house alone. It seemed someone might not be done with me. Since I was moving anyway, this was easy enough. A friend with a pit bull sat with me the rest of the week while I packed. Harley and I stayed with my old roommate every night. I got a tattoo and had a going away party. I left the house behind. While I was driving to Columbus though, I couldn't stop thinking about the break-in and the fact that someone had come back. It had been so clean, no broken windows, no broken locks, nothing and then I remembered somehow that just after we moved into the house over a year before my roommate and I had run into our landlord while we were out we had said hi and moved on but then he kept texting me trying to get us to a different bar. We never met up with him that night and never saw him out again. He's the only person I rejected who also knew where I lived. Well, thank you all for listening and to all those who made it to the end. If you enjoyed this longer styled upload, then let me know down in the comments. And as always, it's been my pleasure. Have a pleasant evening.